The story has been told of a young man in his 20s who felt the call of God upon his life to go to Venezuela as a missionary. Problem was, he didn't speak Spanish, but he followed God's call and he proceeded to Venezuela. His first Sunday morning there, he was excited to get to church to sit down with the locals and see what God was already doing. But he was running a little late, ran to church, got in there 10 minutes late, and quickly realized he had no idea what was going on because the pastor spoke Spanish. So he thought the best plan would be to sit next to someone and do whatever they did. Trouble was, the only seat that was open was in the front row. So he scurried into the front row and sat down next to a young man, and he watched that young man closely. Whatever page that young man turned to in the hymn book, he turned to. If that young man next to him stood up, he stood up. If that young man next to him clapped during the sermon, he clapped. And it worked well for most of the service. But at the end, the, the pastor went into what he could tell was sort of a time of announcements. And the pastor made an announcement, and the young man next to him stood up. So he stood up as well. And Immediately upon his standing up, the crowd gasped, and he looked around and realized they were the only two standing, so he sat back down and finished the service. On the way out, he walked into the lobby, and the pastor, who was bilingual, said to him in English, you don't speak Spanish, do you? (laughs) He said, no, I don't. He said, that last time you stood up, I had just made an announcement that uh, we had a brand new baby boy in the congregation, and I asked the proud father if he would please, <laughs> please stand up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Missions work, whether it's being sent across the street to your neighbor or being sent into your workplace to be a light of Jesus, or being sent overseas to shine the light of Jesus comes with its challenges. Agreed? And yet, we we cannot ignore that if we read the Bible as it is written, plainly on its pages, especially as we read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, that going out with the message and actions of Jesus into our world is not an option. It's part of who we are as the church. Jesus said it this way. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He was sent sacrificially, lovingly, and in the power of the Holy Spirit with the message of the truth, which he is, and the way and the life, and we too are sent that way. One of my favorite teachers said it this way, he said, a church should not measure its success by how many seats are filled on Sunday morning, but on how many of those believers are sent back out on mission into their community and their world. There's got to be this sentness about us if we read the Bible. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 13. We're in the middle of a preaching series through the book of Acts, and it's been exciting to realize that As we watch the early church continue to do and teach what Jesus began in his earthly ministry, that we are part of that same movement today, 2,000 years later. And Acts 13 is where we get the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to see the beginning of his first one, that think about this, in a day and age where there were no airplanes, 
no cars, no uh, steam-powered ships or electric-powered ships or otherwise. He, he went for three years. He traveled 1,400 miles with this team, spreading the gospel of Jesus. And what I want to focus on today is how did that all get started? And what can we learn from it today when it comes to how we're sent out into our community and our world? It all starts in a city called Antioch that, that is in modern-day Syria, city of about 500,000 people. A church had been planted there. Christians had gone out and spread the gospel there. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1 with me. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I want to stop there for just a minute, just to say there's a couple cool things we see about this church in Antioch. Number one, there was a a variety of gifts in that church. We don't hear of all of them here, but what we do hear is that there were some prophets there. Those are men that, that stand up as God's alarm clocks to wake the church up with this truth when the church needs woken up. God would lay a message on their heart to speak the truth. And it wasn't always telling the future. Often it was just saying, here is God's truth and we need to live up to it. And there were teachers. The teachers were those men in the church that were able to look back into the Old Testament and see the predictions of Jesus. See how that thread ran through the whole Old Testament and and bring that to light to that early church. So you've got a variety of gifts, and you've got a variety of backgrounds. Barnabas was from the island of Cyprus. Simeon was most likely from Africa. His nickname was Niger, which means black. Lucius was definitely from Africa, which is where Cyrene was. Manian grew up, check this out, talk about a variety of backgrounds. He was a, a friend of Herod the Tetrarch as Herod grew up in Jerusalem. This is the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist and later tried Jesus. Somewhere along the way, he came to be a follower of Jesus. And Saul, we know Saul from the encounter on the Damascus Road was from from Tarsus. I want you to watch what happened when this variety of gifts and backgrounds come together. Verses 2 and 3, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Who said? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now there's something cool here that we need to learn as a church today. What were they in the middle of doing when the Holy Spirit spoke to them as a church as to what God's will was? What were they doing? They were worshiping God and fasting. That's important for us to know today. We need to be deeply involved in worshiping together and sometimes even setting aside food and other earthly needs to set our focus on God because it's in those contexts often that the Holy Spirit speaks. Do you guys believe in the Holy Spirit who speaks to his church? Who speaks to us as individuals? Good. So the, the, the church gets this word from the Holy Spirit, set these guys apart for me for the work to which I have called them. You notice that's past tense, I have called them. 
In other words, Barnabas and Saul had already received a leading from the Holy Spirit. We know from Acts chapter 9 that they were called specifically to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was God's call upon Saul's life. And all the church does here is confirm through the Holy Spirit what God had already laid on their hearts. Now there's something important there that I think and pray reflects our church and the church at large in today's world. They had a unique call of God upon their lives to a specific group at a specific time and the church came alongside them to encourage them, pray for them, and outfit them for the call of God upon their individual lives. Notice what the church did not do. The church did not say, here are five options for service at our church. And all of these are important, but if we narrow church down to these things, we're in trouble. Like if we say, you either serve in setup, a children's ministry, you play a guitar, you sing, or you teach. If not, sorry, we, we don't have room for what God's calling you to do, so find another church. <laughs> A biblical church does not say these are the only ways you can serve God. A biblical church says, well, every believer, just as Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, has good works that God has prepared in advance for that individual to do. And God has used their background and their training to prepare them to reach a particular people group, a particular neighborhood, a particular workplace, Etc. And the church's job is not to say, you fit our mold. The church's job is to say, what has God called you to do? Together, we'll listen to the Holy Spirit and we'll do our best to equip you, to outfit you, to stand beside you as you pursue that unique call of God upon your life. You don't have to fit in our box. You follow God and we'll, we'll stand beside you as you follow that call. And that's what this early church did. They, after they fasted and prayed for them, they placed their hands on them, which basically was just saying, hey, we're with you. We identify with what you're called to do. We're behind you. Whatever it takes, we're gonna pray for you. And we're gonna relieve you of your duties here so that you can follow God. That's not always easy. Think about it. How, how hard would it be for that church in Antioch to say we're losing Saul and Barnabas? <laughs> this is crazy. This is Saul. We can't let him go. We need to keep him here. Imagine how many people he will bring in, you know, etc. But their mindset is not on what can we do just for this local body. It's what can we do to fulfill God's great commission to go and make disciples. I hope that as a church... That's how we operate, as God lays an individual calling upon your heart. And I, I pray that you listen to God for what that calling is. We all know we share to make disciples or followers of Jesus, tell them about the gospel they believe, to baptize them, in other words, to identify them with the body of Christ, and then to teach them everything that God has commanded. But beyond that, there's a million ways and places and methods to get that done. I'd encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit, look at your history and say, who has God prepared me to reach? Who's he laying on my heart? And I hope that we as a church come beside you and say, Let, let's get it done with you. Acts 13 verse four says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Sent on their way by who? 
the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, you can't teach about Paul's missionary journeys without a map, right? Now, I don't have a flannel graph, but what I do have is just real briefly, just to show you where they're taken off from. If you look on this map right here, you've got the city of Antioch where, where this church is, modern-day Syria. They head down to Seleucia, and they travel across the Mediterranean Sea over to the island of Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. We don't know, but that may be why they went there. Barnabas says, I know a whole lot of people in my hometown that need Jesus, Paul. Let's go back there and reach them. So they travel across the Mediterranean Sea, and just for context, Israel is down in here. Travel across there, and they land in the city of Salamis. It is Salamis. All you guys who love Italian hoagies, it is not Salamis. I know we got lunch coming up here in just a moment. Try to curb your appetites for a while. This is the city of Salamis. And it says, there they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. This was Paul's way he operated. Even though he's going into primarily Gentile areas, he always started in the Jewish synagogues where Jews would meet. He did this for a couple reasons. One, he still loved his people. Even though he's called to the Gentiles, there's a passage in Romans that, where Paul says, I would rather be cut off from Christ than for my brothers of Israel to not believe in him. I read that and I'm like, man, who do I have that kind of passion for to reach G- to, to come to Jesus? I would rather be cut off from Christ than for that loved one not to come to Jesus. He, that's how he felt about his people, but it was also strategic. He would go to those Jewish synagogues because they became sort of a base of operations. He would preach to those Jews, and often Gentile God-fearers, which they're called in the Bible, they were sort of interested in God and stuff, they would come hang out there too, and he would preach the gospel. And as would often happen, he was rejected at the synagogue, and he would go from there to spread into the surrounding area. Short word about this helper, John. You guys know who this is? John Mark. He's a cousin of Barnabas. He was a disciple of Peter originally. Peter calls him in one of his books, his son in the faith. He would write the gospel of Mark. He was along with them on this missionary journey, and that'll become important later on. But I want to go on to verse 6 for now. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Now, Paphos is like the governmental capital of the island. This is where, where the government centered. And there's a man there named Sergius Paulus who was a proconsul. He was the highest Roman leader on this whole island. He was put there by the Roman Senate. I want you to watch what happens. They go and they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. A Jewish sorcerer. <laughs> this, this is kind of like a Jewish pork roast. Okay, these, these two ideas normally don't go together because in the Old Testament, when God gave the law to the Jews, said if you're involved in sorcery, the penalty is death. And yet here it is. A Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus or son of Jesus, that's what his name meant, Ironic, because he was anything but that. He was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, 
and we'll see how intelligent he is in just a moment, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Now, we don't know if at first he had a genuine desire to say what's God saying or if he's hearing a buzz about what these men are saying on his island and he's just like, hey, I better find out what's going on here because this is my island, island, I'm responsible for it. We don't know, but listen to what happens in verse 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's a nickname, means sorcerer, that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So here are Paul and Barnabas, all excited on their first missionary journey. They got a key Roman leader. They're telling him the faith. And sure enough, opposition arises from Elymas. This is a pattern. I don't know if you remember back in Acts chapter 8, Peter and Philip went to Samaria, and there was a man there named Simon who was a magician telling people a false gospel. You remember when Jesus began his own ministry right after the Holy Spirit came upon him? He was sent where? To the desert to be tempted for 40 days by the enemy. You see a pattern? When we go out on mission for God, we ought to expect opposition from the enemy. And I think we need to get beyond the place. I don't know if you've heard this or been a part of this, where where especially here in America, we act surprised when we go out there and preach the gospel. And we're like, we get somebody says something back or we receive a little persecution and we're almost like, oh, I can't believe that would happen to me here in America of all places. And to me, it's almost like the equivalent of a soldier in World War II, an American soldier going over there in a foxhole and a Nazi begins firing on them with a machine gun. Can you see the American soldier in the foxhole looking at his comrades and saying, can you believe what he just did to me? He just shot at me. What is he thinking? He's the enemy. There's an enemy, a very real enemy, that when we step out to share the gospel in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our world, who will do all in his power to oppose us. And I want to encourage the church to expect that, embrace that battle, and walk out into it knowing that there's going to be a battle. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be walking around on the battlefield as though we're on a cruise ship. There is a battle going on for the gospel. Listen to what happened. I I want you to see Saul's response, Paul's response. And this is interesting, especially for a missional church, because sometimes I think we can get the wrong idea that because we have this missional mindset of going out and loving our community and sharing Jesus with them in our words and actions that I can never, ever say anything controversial or bold or harsh. But I want you to see Saul's response to this man trying to keep Sergius Paulus from believing the gospel, trying to keep his soul from being saved for eternity. That's what's at stake here. Saul looks at Elymas, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is important. This is not him coming out of his own attitude or his own anger. This is righteous anger from the Holy Spirit. And he said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Your name may be Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, but that's not the truth. You're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Verse 11, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're gonna be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And it says, immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. You got a true gospel and a false gospel coming up against each other. And you see Saul's response, led by the Spirit, is very powerful and direct. Expect opposition. Number two, as the Holy Spirit leads, we need to stand in the face of the opposition and speak the truth. Number three, I think we need to expect victory over the opposition. Verse 12, check this out. Because when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Battle for his soul won. He believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And I think as I read this, I think you and I, as we expect this opposition and face up to it, we also need to go out there in an attitude of faith, knowing that the one who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He's greater than our opposition. It's not an even fight. And God is in the business of working with us to save those souls for eternity. Now, if any of you make any of those who stand against the gospel blind, I want to hear about it. (laughs) I don't know that that's going to happen for any of us, but I do know that God can do whatever it takes to bring those ones that we're sharing with at our workplace. Maybe you're sharing it at work and you got somebody else speaking falsehood into that person's ear and you're getting discouraged. Maybe you're sharing it in your family and half of the family is coming against you saying, don't listen to that. It's nonsense. It's not true. And, and it's easy to get discouraged. This passage says, stand in there, be bold, and pray for God to do his saving work. Now, I want to share a little bit. These next three weeks, as we start out on Sunday mornings, how does this look at the church next door? We're we're obviously sent by God, each of us who are believers. We need to each discern what that calling is. We need to plug into a local church and then be sent out, plug in and be sent out. But what does that look like at the church next door? And, And here's where we're at. I'm going to share the answers to a number of questions I've gotten over the past couple of years And as we've wrestled through them, prayed through them, I want you to know what this looks like here. Number one, I often get the question, are we a church or are we a network of missional communities or what are we? (laughs) What I want to share with you today after praying through this and working with our leaders and many of you is that we are a local church that works with other local churches. We have a leadership structure. We have elders and deacons at this church that help to lead this church. We gather together for worship and prayer and teaching. And we go out on the Great Commission. We practice communion together. We practice baptism together. We're a local church, but we value so much working with other local churches. This is not the place you want to come and badmouth other local churches because we'll shut it down real quick because we love those other local churches. We differ on some of the smaller points, but I'm talking about churches that believe the core of the gospel and are on the same commission with us. We're a team. 
And I've got to tell you, with all that's happened in our community the past couple of weeks, I've seen it more clearly than ever, how the church in this community is a team. And I talked to Justin Unger before we did the Tuesday night candlelight vigil, and I talked to Epi Vicente, who five years ago started the night of worship where, where everybody comes together. And I just share with them, guys, I believe you guys were called by God to do that, to begin to prepare us to work together for moments just like this. So I showed up at the meetings with the families. There were seven or eight pastors, and we weren't strangers to each other. We knew each other, and we hugged each other. And there was this real sense of camaraderie. Let's love this community together. We're co-pastors of this city. That's the mindset we share, and, and I love that. So we're a local church that works with other local churches. Also, people often wondered, especially at the beginning, would we even have a weekend gathering or will we just do missional communities? And what we've come to discover as we've pursued God's call for this church is that we value both weekend gatherings like this and our missional communities, which we're going to share a little bit more about in just a moment. My friend John, I'll steal a picture from him. They're like two pedals on a bike. Real, you can pedal with one pedal on your bike, but it's very difficult. You pedal with two pedals, it works a lot better. We come here and encourage each other and, and sing praises to God together and open the word together, but then we go out in little groups on a mission. Both are important. And we always say, and I, I say this humbly because there's a sense in which I believe that churches don't really have a mission. God's mission has a church. That's not new with me, but I like the way that's worded. But, but as we state what we're about, I like to say our mission, careful to say within the Great Commission, because that's every church's mission, to make disciples. But what we feel uniquely called to do as a church is to share Jesus in tangible ways. Tangible is so much more than spoken, right? It's, it's felt, it's, it's tasted, it's, it's seen, it's, it's heard, it's all those things through missional communities, which, which leads us to our next one. What in the world is a missional community besides a, a big mouthful that's really hard to say? <laughs> that's why we call them MCs for short. A missional community is just like what it sounds like, a group of people building meaningful relationships. That's the community, meaningful relationships. We want to get past, like, who are these people sitting next to me on Sunday morning? Like, I have no idea who that dude is. We want to get into each other's lives and love each other and walk the highs and lows together, walk the mission together on a mission to share Jesus in tangible ways. That part's important because what we're not talking about here is small groups of believers, by believers, for believers, and that's where it stops. Ten believers in a living room for 20 years that never impact the neighborhood and community around them. I think that grieves the heart of God. What we're talking about is we're building those meaningful relationships so that we can go out together. That's the heartbeat of an MC, to gather and go. Just as a heart pounds in and pounds out, we say this is the heartbeat. Gather, go. Gather, go. So there's time in the word in a home, but there's also service in the community, in our words, in our actions. And we say they aim to live in three circles, communion with God, community with people, and commission to the world. And we believe where those three circles intersect, that is 
the full life that Jesus promised. He said, I have come that you might live life and live it to the full. I don't think he only had in mind attending a one-hour service once a week when he meant that. I'm pretty sure he didn't. Where those three circles intersect, that's where we want our missional communities to live. And we do trainings. We just finished one, our seventh round of training for leaders. There are eight missional communities out there throughout Prescott, Prescott Valley, Dewey. And each missional community has its unique call to a unique group in a unique service way. And we just aim to come alongside them through that initial training. And then Jim and I coach the leaders along the way. So there's an ongoing, hey, we're behind you. And just as one example, Bob said he'd be willing to share because something excited happened out in Dewey yesterday. Denise, if you'd like to join them, you're more than welcome. They just launched a missional community in Dewey. And Bob, I'd, I'd like to invite you back to this mic here. Could you tell these guys just what God is doing, what happened yesterday, and just one example of what this looks like? <laughs> well, we just went through the train, Denise and I, and we've been coming to this church for all our lives with Jesus, and I want everyone to know that. Uh, we started the Mitchell Community Group with the idea that we were going to join with Dewey Humboldt, the city council, to help take care of people that have uh, been cited for having trash in their yard or junking around the house or just a fence falling down. And we went and talked to Warren at city council and praised Jesus when we walked in the door and we told him what we wanted to do. He says, I've been waiting for somebody like you for three years. And uh, we did our first project Saturday. We had all the fears and doubts that you were talking about. Are we going to do this right? Are we going to have people show? <laughs> Can we do this? And praise Jesus, it just flowed. We had 22 people show up to clean up a lady's yard, three-quarters acre, 152 tires. 152 tires. She That's had 152 like tires at her house that she had to get rid of. And there's where the community comes in. Steve Reed, Give Big, comes back from Uganda, calls me. We're talking. Next thing I know, he says, I have somebody who will take those tires. So we got together. George did it one day. Jim did it another day. Four or five different people. We took all the tires to uh, Advanced Auto in Prescott with no charge. And that was done in a three-day period. And Steve Reed's at the Heights. And Steve Reed's Church at the Heights. Together. I talked to Charlie, who does a veterans group. And I forget the name of it. Ethos. E Ethos. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, our group is looking for something new at Mountaintop Church. <laughs> So I met with them on a Saturday morning. There were nine men sitting there. Six of them said they'd be there. All six of them show up awesome. with their tools. We, it just went on like God was standing there with us the whole time. 22 people working together, happy and just in joy. It, I've never done anything like that. Denise and I have never had the privilege of doing that on our own. And God just made it bigger and bigger and better and better without any fear. There were four or five different churches there, different groups. A couple guys from Charlie's group showed up. A bunch of people from Give Big showed up. Mountaintop, Heights, Canyon Bible. And that's what it was all about. 
in my fear and my doubt that the devil placed on my shoulders, he says, you're going to be lucky if you get three people there. And I heard him. He was screaming at me. He was telling me that the whole time. And everybody just kept saying, Brad kept saying, God will take care of it. Jim kept saying, God will take care of it. George says, God will take care of it. And he did. It all came through him, and he did all the works. He put all the people together in one church. And that's what made it so awesome, because Denise's and I, missional community group, consists of Denise and I. Mm-hmm. All right? <laughs> Jim's been letting, letting me do this, do, let us do the services for his group at our house mm-hmm. as a training method. And I just want to thank God for giving us the opportunity to do that and to have it all worked out. Brenda, the lady we did it for, didn't show up until after everybody left. She was in tears. She's asking what she can do. Uh, Denise suggested to her that she gets with the Heights and help pay for the people that are staying over there, bring food over, and, and do some serving over there for the people here for the Yarnell fire. And that's just God taking bigger steps, and we're just sitting there along for the ride. Beautiful. Thank you, Bob. So the hope here is that that will excite you and you say, man, I want to get in one of those eight missional communities that are out there. We've got a link on our website, which is churchnextdooraz.com, which says find a missional community. And you'll see markers where these missional communities are generally. You click on one and you'll find the leader's name, number, what time they meet. That's a great way to get plugged in. Another thought, some of you may be saying, hey, I want to lead one of these missional communities. I'm feeling the tug of God to reach a particular people group or area. This August, we're going to launch our eighth eight-week training for those who would like to launch a missional community. Be praying about that. Last but not least, just to share with you, we we said we also value our weekend gathering, which is what we're at now. And for the month of July, because we just started Sundays, we'll be preaching every week and sharing the vision of the church. But come August, we're going to settle back into what we feel God's called us to as a church. It's not the only right way to do Sundays. We're not arrogant about it. It's just when we look at the early church, we see them being devoted not just to preaching and singing. We see them devoted also to prayer. And they ate together and shared life together. So we try to reflect that even in our Sunday gatherings. So as we start into August, you'll see the first week of every month we devote to prayer. You can do that individually or in a group. We set it up in ways that don't make you uncomfortable. But we believe a church that doesn't pray is a church without power. You cannot read the book of Acts and and that was their go-to. When they, when they hit the wall, they prayed and God showed up. First week of every month, we'll, we'll do that in here. Second and fourth weeks are the word weeks where we'll have a longer preaching message in the book of Acts for now. Third week is our meal week. And now that we're on morning time, 10 a.m. to 10.30, we'll have muffins and bananas and that kind of stuff. Just that first half hour is hanging out and, and getting to know each other. We'll have tables in here. And then we hear stories from our missional communities. We focus in on the cross and we share communion together as a group. And that fifth Sunday, which we just had one a couple weeks ago, we, we worship God through song, extra songs. And if we have anybody that wants to take that step of baptism, that's when we do those. Obviously, all these elements find their ways into each week. We had a little bit of food this week. We have the word every week. We have some worship and prayer every week. But that's where the emphases will go. And I just want you to know why and how we do that. So I'm going to say a word of prayer here, and uh, 
just pray that uh, if, if you're new here and, and you've got questions about this, know that we'd be happy to have coffee with you. Any, anything you're wondering, what's, what's this church next door about? I want to say a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you uh, for this example of Paul and Barnabas. You laid a very specific call on their hearts to reach the Gentiles. And the church came alongside them and sent them out behind them in full support. God, I pray for the individuals in this room who know you this morning. Some of them know what that call is. And I pray that you'd help us as a church to come behind them, encourage them, train them, equip them, outfit them, and and stand with them as they follow that call. Uh, Lord, there, there may be some in this room that are discouraged right now as they're out on mission and they're facing that opposition, God. I pray that you'd encourage them in their mission to be bold or to remind them that your spirit is greater than Satan. You are powerful and you're in the business of drawing souls to salvation, God. We pray for victory over the enemy, victory over falsehood, that your gospel would set people free and bring them out of darkness and into light. And Father, we just pray this morning, even as we prepare to take our offering, that that it would all go for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is truly sent out. Last, I just pray for anyone in this room that may be standing in the shoes of Sergius Paulus, wanting to hear this word about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What did he do for me? Did he really die for my sins? Did he really rise again? Is trust in that what can make me right with God the Father? If they're here today, Lord, I pray that you draw them in. Let them know the truth of your gospel, that it is for them. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for that sweet, awesome news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Last but not least, before we sing that final song, I want to call George and Deb and Bob and Denise up here. We got to do this with George and Deb a couple weeks ago, but Bob and Denise weren't here. These are our two newest missional communities, either launched or launching this fall. And I I think it would be appropriate if we do just as the early church did with Barnabas and Saul. If you all would reach your hands out like this over these called the Dewey. I know George and Deb have expressed a call to love on the civil servants in Dewey and Humboldt, the firefighters, the policemen out there on an ongoing basis. And you've heard the call for Bob and Denise. I'd like to say a word of prayer over these dear couples. Lord, thank you for the, the call you put upon these couples' lives to be a lighthouse in Dewey two lighthouses working together to to shine your light in in their words and their actions. We pray for a harvest in Dewey. Lord, we pray that as they share the truth of who Jesus is, that he would set people free, bring people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lord, and spread your truth and love throughout that community. Protect them from the evil one and use them in ways that that leave us all saying, wow, only God could have done that. Thank you for these ones, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.